0: As I often say, now that I've made it a routine because I forgot it for so many times, our children are released to Children's Church. That goes from nursery all the way up to uh, second grade, and they are welcome to head that way. And judging by the quiet in the room, they probably already have. And uh, I don't need this. I'm going to set this down. As I ascend to this place this morning, it makes it official that I have been the preaching pastor of Tunnel Hill Baptist Church for 10 years. So I want to just take a moment and say thank you to this church and to all those that have been here for the full 10 years. God bless your hearts. You've got... In case you were wondering, if you had the spiritual gift of long-suffering, you got it. And it has been my joy and my privilege to serve as your pastor for these ten years. And I'm not saying I'm done, by the way. I'm still here. And uh, this is my first church, and I don't think too many people get as lucky as I did, as I have, or as we might say blessed, as I have been to be able to pastor a church that has been this supportive and this helpful, and this encouraging, and this patient for a young man who was just trying to figure it out what it meant to be a pastor. And so I want to say thank you for that. Um, Let's begin with a word of prayer. Our gracious God and King, we come before you now, Lord, and we just stand in awe of your grace and your goodness, Lord. We just see you at work in this church. And Lord, whether it's the baptism this morning or or the the sweet cries of babies in our congregation, Lord, we just know that, that you are doing something wonderful. And so God, we praise you for these things. Lord, as we are gathered this morning, we have many of our brothers and sisters in Christ and, and our dear loved ones that are not with us. Lord, many are, are home because they are sick or, or have things going on in their life that, that prevents them from being here. God, we pray that you would bless them and that you would be with them. Lord, we pray that you would just continue to bless our time. What a, a glorious morning of worship this has already been. And Lord, we pray that you would continue on in, in that spirit. Lord, we pray that you would prepare our hearts even now to hear your word and to be transformed by it. And God, that you would continue to do a mighty work in this church as we have seen you do for decades and decades and decades. And so, God, we give you all the glory and all the favor. And God, we praise you for all things. And we ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. If you would, please stand for the reading of God's word. We are going to be reading from Luke chapter 2, and we're going to be reading the first seven verses, and I would guess that these verses will sound very familiar to you. In the Gospel of Luke, starting in chapter 2, we read these words. It says, Now in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, And she wrapped him in cloths and she laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Please be seated. No vacancy, no trespassing, private property. Keep out, do not enter, no soliciting, sold out. When we see signs like this, we recognize that this is a indication to us who may be on the outside looking at that sign that we are not welcome. And indeed, there is a lot of ways that we do things to make people feel unwelcome. We ignore them, we turn our back to them while we are talking in a group. We make it difficult for them to to, to enter a place or we make it difficult for them to get to a place. And sometimes when we begin to use signs like this, like this, or we get comfortable with such things, we, we, we run the danger of getting a little too comfortable being, keeping people out. And, and often the danger with that is, is we begin to forget that people are people created in the image of God. We start to not see people as people, but rather see them as a nuisance. In our passage today, we read about the birth of our Savior Jesus Christ. And one of the most interesting things about the birth story is that in the days that Jesus arrived, both He and His family appear to be unwanted. Mary and Joseph are from Galilee and and Galilee is in the the northern part of this area there has kind of been a lot of uh, of political things and groups that have moved in and by the time um Mary and Joseph are really on the scene we have Judea the region of Judea which is the area that surrounds Jerusalem that would have had Bethlehem in it and then you have kind of a, a group of people called Samaritans that, that the Jewish people didn't really like and didn't really want anything to do with. And then out, and then further north than that, you would have had Galilee. And Galilee was a Jewish community and there were several towns and cities, but it was almost completely cut off from the rest of Judea. It was completely cut off from the rest of Judea. And often they were kind of like the, the backwoods people, the country folk, the, the unimportant people of the Jewish family. And this census takes place. And Joseph, he knows that that his family comes from from David, that he kind of knows David is his ancestor. And because of that, he wants to go. And and really, he would have felt like an obligation to go to Bethlehem in order to be registered, because that's where his family is from. We kind of get that in Kentucky, really, because most of us like take some sort of pride in like what county we came from. As a Missouri boy moving to this area, never did I really like talk up that I was from Boone County, Missouri. But if you meet a LaRue County boy, they're going to let you know they're a LaRue County boy. Amen? I was talking to a lady I went to visit, Peter, in the hospital um, uh, about a week ago. And we were talking and the girl, we just got to talking and she kind of says, well, I'm from the country, you know, I'm kind of an old country girl. And I was like, well, where are you from? And she goes, well, I'm from here. And I was like, where are you from? And she's like, well, I'm from Hart County, but I live in LaRue County. I was like, there it is. That's how and that's I love it. I, by the way, I think it's great. But you take pride in that. And there's that kind of there's that that where you're from. And, and, and John and Joseph would have said, well, my family is from Bethlehem. And so I'm going to go to Bethlehem to be registered. And And a lot of people did that. And so he with his wife load up and they make that trip to Bethlehem, which is a long trip. And it's an exceedingly long trip if you are a woman expecting on a donkey. Amen? For everybody involved, I'm sure. And when they arrive in Bethlehem, and, and, and a lot of times we depict this in, in movies and in stories that, that, like, the night they arrive, she's going to have the child. And it doesn't really say that, but it does say that they were there, and that's when the time came. Now, I get that, too. Because one time, me and my wife went on a trip, and we decided we, we were going because we had an emergency and we were going as a family to a funeral in southern Illinois. And wouldn't you know, the days were completed for Liz, as the passage says, to give birth. And so now I have Audrey with an Illinois birth certificate, having never actually lived in that state. Things happen. Things happen that are unexpected. And so when Mary and Joseph arrive in Bethlehem and they are in Bethlehem, the days are completed for them to give birth. And they give birth to a child, to a son. And then we see in the passage that they had to lay him in a feeding trough because there was no room for them in the inn. You can't help but, but believe for, for just a, a, a moment that, that these travelers that had come were not really wanted. That they were met with the, the sign that well sometimes we see in hotels that says, no vacancy. And there was no one else to take them in. You know, John speaks of this same type of, re- of rejection. It's something that we actually even read earlier today when in John uh, chapter 1, verse 11, it says, He came to His own, and those who were His own did not receive Him. Now, there's a much larger spiritual impact to what John wrote in John 1, 11, but we cannot help but see that played out just in even the birth story of Jesus. John, Joseph, and Mary go to their hometown, where their family is from. And yet, when all is said and done, they have to lay their child in a feeding trough instead of in a baby, instead of in a bed or a bassinet inside of a home. A lot of people. Uh, believe and a lot of them think that even what the place that he was probably laid in, in whatever kind of stable it was, it was probably a cave. Something that they used for livestock when the weather was bad, but seeing as how the, the, sh- the shepherds were watching their flocks by night, it was probably vacated because of the fact that there was nice weather. Nevertheless, there is no bed, there is no pillow, there is no roof. Just a cave and a feeding trough. Mary and Joseph and the newborn baby Jesus but I want us to understand something today and that is that govern that God is sovereign I'm putting all the words together God is sovereign and he is communicating something through this event see Christ came into the world unwanted and overlooked met with signs like do not enter and no vacancy, and yet He did so to show us that He was the Redeemer of the unwanted and the overlooked of this world. So I want to take a look to that. I want you to, to notice the way that Mary and Joseph are treated, and a little bit further even beyond that, to recognize how Christ came for the one unwanted. First, we see right off the bat in our passage that Christ came for the inconvenient. As we look at Mary and Joseph, we we recognize that they have come in to Bethlehem. Now, Bethlehem, even today, is not a particularly big town. It is one of the very few towns in Israel that is predominantly Christian. And still has a, has a large Christian population. But even though it's, it's not big now, it especially was not big in the days of Herod. We even see in the, the Bible how it is referred to as a small town. If we go back to the Old Testament prophecy regarding Bethlehem, we read this in Micah 5.2. It says, "...but as for you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah." Bethlehem was tiny. It was a small farming community that suddenly sees a huge influx of visitors thanks to this census. It would be kind of like for us today if you went down to Glendale days. And you suddenly walk into what is a fairly small town that is Glendale that has been, been packed full of people so that the streets are closed down. You have to wait in, in your car for miles just to get into a place to park. It is busy. It is uncomfortable. It is full. Only unlike Glendale Days, which is a day or maybe even a weekend, this has been going on for weeks as more and more people are coming into Bethlehem to be registered and to pay their taxes. It is a huge event and a horrible inconvenience for this small town. Suddenly overrun with visitors and the, and the locals probably viewed it as little more than a nuisance or an inconvenience. It reminds me of an inconvenience that we actually see occur in the ministry of Jesus much later in His life. And I want to read to you guys from Luke chapter 8, and we see this. See, Jesus is on His way in this passage to, to heal the daughter of a synagogue official. So, so He is on His way to, to perform a miracle for someone who, even by our standards today, we would consider important. This is an important person of the church. We might slap a title on there like deacon or elder or something like that. And he's on his way to heal their daughter. And then this happens. It says, and a woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years and could not be healed by anyone came up behind him and touched the fringe of his cloak. And immediately her hemorrhage stopped. And Jesus said, who is the one who touched me? And while they were all denying it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding around and pressing in on you. And Jesus said, Someone did touch me, for I was aware that power had gone out from me. When the woman saw that she had not escaped notice, she came trembling and fell down before him and declared in the presence of all the people the reason why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. I want to think about this, this this Jesus, that He he got what it meant to, to feel like you were an imposition. To feel like you were an inconvenience. At His birth, His family was viewed that way as an inconvenience, as a nuisance, as just another traveler passing through Bethlehem, unwanted, and yet still here, and they had to deal with it. And then this woman comes into His life, and he's He's on His way to something else. Something that everyone else in that time, in that moment, would have said is more important. This guy is more important. Jesus, you gotta get over to this guy's house to heal his daughter. It's gonna be great for us politically. We're gonna get a lot of good notice. This could go viral, Jesus. You gotta do this. And this woman touches him and Jesus, perceiving that, that, that the Spirit had done something, that God had done something through him, that power had gone out, out of him, says, stop. Who touched me? Now in us today, we would think those were fighting words, right? Like, if suddenly someone went, "Who touched me?" Like, we're gonna freak out. I have, I know a kid that does that. I'm not gonna say who. She's in the room though. Um, Who touched me? But that's not what he did. When he did that, he 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 stopped and he goes, "Who just touched me?" And they're like, and I love Peter because Peter is the king of I I miss the point. Like, I love Peter because every because I miss the point all the time, and you know, people have to tell me listen. And so it makes me feel good to know that Peter was in the mix. And he's like, Jesus, everybody's touching you. There's a huge crowd here. All these people are pressing up against you. You're like You're like as big as Elvis. Everybody is touching you. And he says, no, that's not what I mean. Somebody touched me and power went out. Something happened. And and, and there's a reason for that. And we'll get to it. And this woman, this woman comes up. This woman didn't want to be noticed. She didn't want to stop Jesus. She didn't want to be in the stoplight. She didn't, or spotlight. There you go. Um, get those words right. He didn't. She didn't want to be in the spotlight. She just wanted to touch the fringe of his coat, hoping that that might heal her, and then sneak off into the mix. And now suddenly, she finds herself front and center on her knees, asking for forgiveness, thinking to herself. That she is inconveniencing, she is delaying Jesus doing his work. But notice how Jesus responds to what, this, what we might perceive as an inconvenience. He said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Even though the world would have saw this woman as an inconvenience, even a nuisance... Jesus saw her as a daughter of God who had just exhibited faith by which to be healed. I I can't help it. And I don't want to put too much power in us because God gets the glory and God is doing His thing. But you know, all those people were pressing up against Jesus, but only one of them did so because she believed with all her heart that Jesus had the power to heal her. And because of that, she was healed, and Jesus noticed, and Jesus commends her for that very thing. We must recognize that this is how God sees us, and this is how God sees other. You are not an inconvenience to God. Have you ever ever been praying to God and been like, God, sorry, it's me again? You ever done that? I've done that. God, I'm, we apologize to God for praying to Him. God, God does not view your prayers as an inconvenience. Never once, I want to give you some hope and some encouragement. Never once has God said, "Oh, it's Karen again. Not once. Not once has He said, not once has God said, Sheila is praying again. Never, not once. Not one time has God looked upon you as an inconvenience as you have gone to Him in prayer, as you have asked for wisdom, guidance, assurance, hope, whatever it might be. God does not view you as an inconvenience at any place and at any time. But also we need to remember that those people who we might see as an inconvenience to us are also not an inconvenience to God. And so, when we have people that are difficult to work with at our job, that are are always calling us, that are always bothering us, those people that we might view as, as problematic or troublesome, God still views them as a son or daughter of Him. Worthy of our love and grace and mercy. See, Christ came for the inconvenient. And he loves the inconvenient. And he longs for a relationship with the people that we think are inconvenient. And he wants a relationship with us even when we feel like we are bothering or inconveniencing God. This leads us to another aspect of, of Mary and Joseph as they arrive in, in Bethlehem, and I think we see it in this woman as well, is that they, they not only do, did Jesus come for the inconvenient, but also for the unimportant. Make no mistake, no one who was living in Bethlehem in that day would have thought even for a moment that the star that was in the sky on the day that Jesus was born had anything to do with Mary and Joseph. There was no triumphant entry for Mary and Joseph as they walked into Jerusalem like we we see Jesus with in Palm Sunday. In fact, I have no doubt that when Mary and Joseph entered Bethlehem on that day, they were just a couple more faces in the already busy street. I have no idea if Joseph still had Family in Bethlehem that he knew well, or if by this point it was distant cousins and and far off relations, but when they came to Bethlehem, they were just part of the crowd. Just one of many a run-of-the-mill carpenter from Galilee and his new wife who happened to be expecting. No one even considered to give up their room, to give up their home, or do anything else in order that they might care for the this expecting woman or the child that she was about to have. I mean, think about it for just a moment. No one even thought to give up their place for them. Nobody. There's a reason that they ended up, what we assume is, in that cave, in some sort of stable, lying their child in a feeding trough. And that was because not one person, not one person really thought, you know, I could sleep out there. I should give them my bed. Not one there was nobody that, that, that valued them that much. There was no one that said, oh, this is far more important. There was no family member. How many of you have had to give up your bed at some point in your life for a relative visiting? Probably everybody, right? Years ago, my my mom and dad went to visit my sister in Tennessee. It was when she lived in Tennessee. And they had visited for a really long time. And because of that, my mom and dad were staying in my nephew Kale's bed. He had a full-size bed. And one one of the last days that they were there, uh, my my nephew Kale climbed up into bed with my mom and dad and, and kind of snuggled up in there. And, and they were kind of all there together. And, and Kale looked at my dad and goes, I love you, Grandpa. And my dad's heart just melted. And he goes, I love you too, Kale. And he goes, but I'm really ready for you to leave. We've all had to do that, right? We've all had to give up our bed for a family member. Nobody did that for Mary and Joseph. Nobody. While we don't think, we don't really know if she actually had the baby in the, the stable or if somewhere there was somewhere for her to go in order to have the baby, we do know that when all was said and done, that they still ended up in a stable, lying their newborn baby in a feeding trough. And I think the one reason for that is is that to the crowd, to the people of that time, they were just unimportant. The creator of the universe, the prince of peace, the king of Kings, the Lord of Lords, spent his first night in a cave because he, they thought he was just some kid whose parents were from Galilee, who was just passing through. But again, I think God is in the midst of all of this. And as we think about this baby lying in a manger, because there was no room for them at the end, we are reminded that Jesus came for everyone, especially for those who are overlooked, that sometimes we think are important, or even when we ourselves feel unimportant. Mark 10 points us to this as well in the life of Jesus when it says, And they were bringing children to him, that he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked them. And when Jesus saw this, he was indignant and said to them, Permit the children to come to me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all. And he took them in his arms and he began blessing them and laying his hands on them. Now, for us today, this is a pretty story. For us today, this is a picture that we put on the walls of our nursery. For us today, this is something that we read in children's storybook Bibles. But in this moment, this was crazy. Because children were the least important. They were ones that were just allowed to come along. They were there and, and, and they really weren't anything until they were useful. And then they learned the trade of their parents. Children were not as, as revered and as thought as highly upon as we often see today. And so when people started bringing their children and saying, Hey, we brought our kid. Can our kid come see Jesus? The disciples were like, Who do you think you are? This is Jesus. He's got better things to do than talk to your kids. and, And you know what? Culturally, that would have been the expectation. That would have been what they would have thought would have happened. That would have been, they would have been like, you know what? You're right. This is Jesus. He's kind of a big deal. He might be a prophet. He's definitely a rabbi. He's probably got better things to do than talk to my kid. And then suddenly, out of nowhere, Jesus sees it and says, who do you think you are? how imagine being there for a moment and you're being one of the disciples and you're like, no, 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 no. Jesus is far too busy, far too busy to talk to your kids. Well, huh? Yeah. Like I was saying, Jesus, come on, go ahead. You know, he wants to come see your kids. <laughs> Jesus, it says Jesus got indignant. Now that's a pretty powerful word. He was angry at his disciples for not letting the kids come to him. He did not view, in fact, look at what he says. He says, you, if you could almost add in there, you think these children are unimportant, but I tell you that these children are what we see in the kingdom of heaven. That this is what the kingdom of heaven looks like. That they make a better example of what it means to be a Christ follower than you do. Imagine being a disciple of Jesus and having Jesus say, you know, you could learn a thing or two from these kids. And yet that's exactly what He does. See, the world, the disciples, everyone around them looked at these children and saw them as unimportant. But Jesus looked at these children and said, the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. If you feel unimportant, if you feel like you, you're, you don't really matter in the kingdom, I want you to flip that on its head. Because Jesus is communicating through this passage and I believe it's communicated through His birth that even those who think they are unimportant or even those that the world would declare are unimportant are very important to God. That they are His. Created in His image. And I think we can often see that we can learn from even those who seem unimportant. But I want to point you to one other group of what we might say as unwanted people that i think the birth story of jesus speaks to see up to this point we've looked at mary and jesus and joseph and and talked about how they were unwanted because they were unimportant or inconvenient but there's one other reason why often people feel unwanted and that is because that we view them with some enmity you have to admit, there have been people in your life that you have gotten sideways with, and because of that, you didn't really want them around. They were your enemy. They were someone that you were hostile towards, and so you didn't invite them to things. Maybe they were a family member, or they used to be a friend, but then they got sideways with you. But they became your enemy, and because of that, you no longer liked them and did not want them around. And what is amazing as we look at the birth of Jesus is even in Jesus' birth, He had enemies. And I want to skip over to Matthew and go to Matthew chapter 2 and I want to read a passage for you to give you an idea of the enemies that Jesus had already created. Beginning in chapter 2 of the Gospel of Matthew, it says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who was born king of the Jews? For we have saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all of Jerusalem with him. Jumping down to verse 16, we read this. It says, then when Herod saw that he had been tricked by the Magi, he became enraged and sent and he slew all the male children who were in Bethlehem and all its vicinity from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the Magi. Herod did not want the Messiah to come. Because his birth would mean the end of Herod's, Herod's reign. Even today, there are many people who, who know that to make Jesus the king of their life would cost them everything. And so they position themselves as an enemy to God. See, we, we get this. And you may, you may think like, well, what are you talking about? I've never positioned myself as an enemy to God, but I want to let you in on a little secret. When we know that God calls us to do certain things and yet we choose to do the opposite, we have positioned ourselves as an enemy to God. When we know that God is calling us to forgive someone and we refuse to forgive them, we've positioned ourselves as an enemy of God. When we know God has called to uh, called us to put away certain addictions, but instead of putting them away, we we sneak them or we hide them or we just bold-face continue to do them, then we have positioned ourselves as an enemy of God. When God has called us to put away anger and wrath and malice and slander, and yet because of our enemies we hold on to anger and wrath and malice and slander, then we position ourselves as an enemy to God. But, Jesus came even for His enemies. In Luke chapter 23, we read these words, And when then they came to the place called the skull, where they crucified Jesus and these criminals, one on the right side and one on His left, But Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots, dividing up his garments among themselves. There's a lot of reasons why we might feel unwanted. We might feel unwanted by God because we view ourselves as an inconvenience. We might be unwanted by God because we view ourselves as unimportant. We might feel unwanted by God because we have, have lived our life in, in really in enmity to Him. And we have, we have rebelled against Him and we have fought against Him and we have tried to do our own things in our own ways our whole life and we, we have that, that kind of me versus Him view of God. But, even then... As we look at the Scriptures, we realize that Christ came for the unwanted. He came for the inconvenient. He came for the, the, the unimportant. He even came for those who were hostile towards Him, His enemies. He came for them because He wants them. He wants them to be a part of His kingdom. He wants them to know Him. He wants them to have a restored and a renewed relationship with Him. And that again reminds us that He wants us. Because sometimes we feel unimportant. Sometimes we feel inconvenient. And because of our sins, sometimes we feel like We have made an enemy with God and there's no way he could possibly want to to restore that relationship. But that's exactly what he wants. And he wants it so bad that he was willing to die on a cross for it. And not just be nailed to that cross, but to rise from the grave three days later so that he could make peace. Make peace with those who are enemies towards God. Make peace with those who feel inconvenient unimportant, or just flat-out unwanted. And if you are with us today, and you feel like you fall into one of those categories, or you just feel unwanted in some other way, I want you to know that the good news of the Gospel is for you. That Christ came for you. That Jesus loves you, and He knows what it feels like to be unwanted. We read this morning from the Gospel of John in our Sunday school classes. And it says that Jesus came to his own and his own did not receive him. But as many as did receive him, they were given the chance to be called sons of God. And we extend that same invitation to you today. If you are ready to make peace with God, if you are ready to surrender yourself to God and to to recognize that that He does love you and that He wants a relationship with you and you are ready to, to give your life to Jesus so that you might follow Him, then we want to give you that opportunity. As we close our time this morning, I'm going to pray and Joe's going to come up and he's going to sing one more song. And we would invite you, however God is speaking to you this morning, we would invite you to respond. And maybe that means, maybe you're in that point, and you just need to kind of get your, maybe you have a relationship with the Lord, and you just need to kind of go to Him and and just talk about how you feel unwanted or inconvenienced or whatever, and just come and pray. Maybe it's time, maybe today's the day that you want to give your life to Jesus. I'm going to be standing right up here. I would love to have a conversation with you about what it means to make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior. But I implore you today, don't walk out of this room feeling like you're unwanted. Because regardless of the reason for it, I want you to know that there is a Savior and His name is Jesus. And He knows what it means to feel unwanted. And He wants you. And He loves you. And He proved that on the cross. Let's pray together. Our gracious God and King, we thank You so much for Your Word. God, we thank You that You came for us. Lord, that You came for those that even sometimes feel unwanted, feel worthless, that God, You stepped into our life, and when we were at our lowest, when we were enemies of You, and You redeemed us through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. God, I pray that if there's anyone in this room today that is ready to give their life to you, Lord, that they would not delay even one more day, that they would talk to me, that they would talk to somebody about what it means to make Jesus Christ their personal Lord and Savior. Lord, for the rest of us, I pray that we will communicate the good news of the gospel to the people in our lives that may feel unwanted, unloved, inconvenient, unimportant, or even enemies, God, that we would communicate that love even to our own personal enemies so that they might hear the good news and believe. God, we praise You that You did not just come for the important, for the, the affluent for the, for the wealthy and for the powerful. But God, you came for all and that you saved all and that we need only respond. Father God, we praise you for these things and we ask all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.